Thank you, praise team. Always blesses. We are, in, uh, we are nearing the end of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 10 today, so we're getting towards the last few chapters of this book. And by kind of way of reminder and context, or if you've been with us uh, throughout this series, basically there's, there's some summations and some themes that have come forth. And really some of what I've gathered is Solomon is, is probably the author, and he's explaining what vanity or meaninglessness or temporary hopelessness can, can come upon you if God is not involved. And so it's a book that is very real. It talks about the trials of life. It uses death as a teacher. Uh, it even goes uh, to kind of reflect some of what I experience, and I'm sure a lot of you do, is the righteous and the unrighteous, the wise and the foolish, all experience heartache, all experience tragedy, all experience some confusion. Uh, but the, we, we've titled this uh, Filled with Joy, Joy Under the Sun. And so what we think God is providing us in the book of Ecclesiastes is that when you keep first things first, when you keep God at the center, you can enjoy all of his gifts. You can infuse hope and joy and purpose and meaning into a life that is often full of confusion and feels upside down. And we live in a topsy-turvy world, right? And we all have been reminded of this. But with God at the center, with God involved, with God in, the, in your picture, then, then all these things can have hope and purpose. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, uh, Solomon is all over the place. He, he starts with some, some short stories. He has some sayings. He gives a lot of different proverbs. He gives some case studies. And so he is, he's just bouncing everywhere. And so today what I thought we'd do is I, I picked three principles that he brings forth to us that I feel like have been helpful in my life or I'm working towards um, walking in the habit of it and, and I think you'll find them applicable, you'll find them helpful. I think they're very practical for, for our season in our day and age. Uh, there are some themes that, that kind of have been pulled out in the midst of the, the bounce that Solomon presents to us and one of the main contrasts that he's giving us is the difference between wisdom and foolishness. That really we can choose to live wisely under the guidance of God and his word and his truth, or we can live as fools. And like we've said before, just because you live wise doesn't mean you are going to avoid all heartache, but you can avoid a lot of self-induced heartache to fall underneath the authority of God. So if you guys are up for it, please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your enduring word that never returns void. God, I, I need you. We need you. If you don't show up, this is, uh, this is empty words. This is even the, the rambling of a fool falling on dumb ears. And so we, we ask for your Holy Spirit to enlighten. We ask for your Holy Spirit to empower and we expect it to do so. We know that you desire to be known by us and that you have gifted us with your presence, that you have gifted us with um, much of your wisdom to understand you, to understand life, and to, to bring meaning to our lives that we have promises to hold on to. And so, Holy Spirit, please uh, do your thing and throw your weight of glory around here uh, for your edification, uh, for our building up. We love you and we praise you. Amen. 
Verse 1 says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So get this picture. You have this, this, bas- this, this bottle of perfume, and one small fly, it says, destroys the beauty of the whole perfume. And so I think there's a couple different ways that we can apply this to our life. The first one, I, I spend a lot of my time looking for lies in, in my life, but in other people's lives as well as a counselor. And so people come in and something's not working in their life. And so they're trying to figure out how to, how to change it, how to be transformed. Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so to renew your mind is this idea of recognizing the lie that is causing heartache, that is causing devastation, and putting on the truth and walking in that truth. Many of you have have heard this from the pulpit many times, or you execute this in your life. And what I gather from, from this little verse, many times in our age of information where we can take in all kinds of truth, and that's glorious and beautiful, but what I think often happens in Christian circles, and I know in my life as well and the people that I work with, is we, we take all these truths, whether it comes from a song or a person's words or a sermon or the Bible itself, and we put them on top of these lies that we've lived and believed our whole life. And the principle here, I think, is that that doesn't work. It gets confusing and it gets messy. And so if I, if I sing about how I can shine like the stars and be used by God, but I've never stopped and taken off this idea that I'm worthless and I have no value, it's not going to stick. My heart is not going to buy it. If someone tells me that uh, God wants to use you to express his love to the world, but I've always thought that because I'm so stained, I have to continue to pay God back, and I have to find a way to make him happy that he did save me, then I'll present myself, but not in a free way, I'll present myself in a way that is forever trying to toil to be used by God. And I'll forever come up with this idea that, that God needs me to do this, or he's not pleased with me. And so we can take a truth that God wants to use us, and again, if you, if you mix it with the fly, if you mix it with the lie, you're, you're going to continue to give off a stench. In the Old Testament, there were many ungodly kings for Israel, for Judah, many ungodly leaders. But every once in a while, God would bring a, a man who feared him, a man who kept God first. And one of the first things that they always did was they'd go and they'd utterly destroy the, the high places that were worshipped to false gods. It says they would annihilate, burn down, demolish, destroy any false idol, any, any altar built towards someone else. And I think there's something for us to learn there. That Take inventory of your life and, and see the things that the enemy has deceived you, the, the lies, the strongholds that you've believed forever. And in the power of God underneath his truth, get rid of them. Wage war on them. So then truth can find its home in your heart. And it's not something you're simply just trying to repeat and talk yourself into, but it becomes real. Little sins undealt with are devastating. 
1 Corinthians 5, 6 says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I know there's a lot of coffee lovers out here in today's age, and you think about if you have this beautiful cup of coffee, and then I just drop a little bit of curdled milk in it, what happens to the cup of coffee? Even if it's like 16 to 1 ratio, right? It ruins the experience. And I think this is what Solomon is trying to show us here. So one, let's make sure we demolish, we get rid of the strongholds and the lies in our life as we're trying to put on truth. And I think the other principle that we can take with is this. A little sin can have devastating consequences. Small sins that don't seem like that big of a deal, if not dealt with, if not faced head on, if not looked to with honesty, can ruin a person's reputation, can demolish a person's dignity. A bit of foolishness goes a long ways. And that's what much of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 10 is showing us. So maybe my sarcasm isn't just ah, something that I've kind of fallen into in a habit. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it comes from a spirit of anger and ungratefulness towards God and towards people. Maybe your gift of gab actually isn't simply just, oh, you talk too much. Maybe it's sin. Maybe you cover up insecurities by filling up the air. Maybe your crude jokes or my coarse jokes and a way to get people to laugh and to bond and to connect with me is me utilizing humor and my resources to be right with you. Me, me relying upon myself instead of the righteousness that Jesus Christ has given me to feel right and to feel okay. We all have these little quirks, right? We all have these, these little habits. And I think Solomon is saying, take them serious. So here's the application for you and something that I've tried a little bit. Within your family, the people that you live with or those closest to you, maybe this afternoon or sometime in the next few days, I want you to ask, what's the hardest part about living with me? And listen, don't respond. What's the most difficult part about living with me? And then if there's things that come out, weigh them before God and wage war against them. Jesus in the Gospels says that if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, he's not talking about literally pulling it out, but he's saying if these things take away from the beautiful fragrance of the Holy Spirit in your life, take them serious. My second application question is, ask friends in your life, what sin patterns do you see in my life that concern you? What things come to your mind when you're around me that you think, I wish that wasn't part of his character? Ask the questions, and then listen and be teachable, and ask God to pull those things out. Next principle is verse 4. It says this, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place or your post, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. My takeaway here is that never underestimate the power and the influence of a calm demeanor and a quiet word. So I wish, I wish we were a little bit better at this within our homes, within our workplaces. When someone comes at you with heat, when someone comes at you with anger, what's your typical response? Mine typically is to try to meet and one-up the heat. You come at a six, I'm going to come at an eight. And scripture says that's not wisdom. 
In politics, as in all of life, do not underestimate the power of a calm demeanor and soft word, O'Donnell says. Much of the context of Ecclesiastes is talking about government. We'll get into that in a bit. But any authority in your life, kids, to your parents, all of us to our authorities, our bosses, our leaders, when they get worked up, what's your response? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's Proverbs 15.1. Proverbs 16.14 says, A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but a wise man will appease it. Proverbs 25.15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. So when someone comes at you, when someone attacks you, when you feel offended, try a gentle answer. Now, many of you, notice it says a soft tongue. It doesn't say no tongue. Notice it says a gentle answer. It doesn't say no answer. Now, some of us need to just keep our mouths shut, period. But some of you need to learn to dig deep and be honest with the effects. Yesterday, my 10-year-old son, who I love dearly, was struggling. He was having a tough day. He couldn't gather his emotions. He had some blocked expectations that I blocked. Uh, and he, and it, he, was, he was beside himself, and he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't pull out. He couldn't come around. And so after one conversation, he removed himself, and he was still struggling, and he pops out, and he says, Dad, can I talk to you a minute? And so we go back into the room, and he, he voices his frustration. He voices his expectation. He tries to voice how he feels. Many of us as adults need to pull those close to us aside and say, Hey, can we talk? And in a calm way but in an honest way, use a calm demeanor and soft words to express how we're feeling. Scripture says that that's wisdom. So next time you feel attacked, next time you feel shot at, next time your hair gets blown back by the attack of someone, I want you to stop and think about Solomon's words. It says, how can I disarm this? We're pretty good at this at times with strangers, aren't we? When we don't want to necessarily engage, it's not worth it. And a smile often disarms that. I'm praying that I can get better at that with my kids, with my wife, with my family. Verse 20 says, Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or a small creature will tell of the matter. I think what this is talking about is learning to tame our tongue and our thought life. I have gobs of discerning, you might call it judgmental thoughts, that come to my mind. And God has continued to convict me of one, sometimes there's value in that. I think we're always called to discern right from wrong. Hebrews 5 says that discerning good from evil is trained up. And so there's a lot of value of that in our life and in the world. I think that's part of being made in the image of God is recognizing good from evil and doing something about it. But man, I cannot tell you how many times I dwell on the negative opinion. I dwell on the negative thought. And I can't tell you how many times that comes to my lips. And really, it's not very useful very often. So I'm praying for the discernment and the wisdom. When that comes, is this a thought to just push aside and focus on the beauty, focus on the good? 
God tells me all the time, Nick, affirm the almost. Because I'm looking for perfection. Thanks for taking your shoes off, but put them on the mat. And he says, hey, just thank them for taking the shoes off. That was a good swing, but let me tell you what else you did wrong. Affirm the almost. That's, that's for me. But how interesting that says, whatever you do in, your, in the secrecy of your bedroom will be made known. In Luke 12, 2 through 3, it says, these things will be brought to light. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. I think it's interesting that it uses the bird will carry it. In today's age, there's this thing called Twitter. What's the logo? Small bird, right? So every thought that we have, thoughtful or thoughtless, man, how often is that just tweeted out to the world? We need to be careful what we voice in public and even what we ponder in the safety of our own home. Because it says you do that too much. You're not careful with that. You don't put a governor on that. You don't run that through the Holy Spirit. And it will get you in trouble. It will devastate. It will turn into slander. It will turn into gossip. The use of the tongue is the number one topic in the book of Proverbs, which Solomon also wrote. It is, it's included in every single chapter. And it's also a main theme in Ecclesiastes. So what do we do when we find ourselves, in our opinion, under the reign of a foolish government? What do we do when people are making us sanitize baseballs that go over the fence foul, but we can hit them and throw them to each other all day long and not sanitize them? You have some opinions about all that's going on, regardless of, of what political stance you take. And it's okay to have opinion. It's okay to align yourself to God and love what he loves and therefore hate what he hates. But this is saying, be very careful about complaining about leadership. Be very careful about complaining about each other. Very seldom does it do you any good. I think this requires self-control. When Ben was praying, he was reciting the fruit of the Spirit and asking all these things to be expressed. And my understanding is if I have any hope to tame my tongue, or to tame my hearts. I need self-restraint. And that is certainly going to take the miracle and the gift and the grace of the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So if you've placed your faith in God, if you've received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have this. It takes some practice and work to continue to express it but it's yours because God has given it to you. And so I hope that you would join me in petitioning him and asking him, Father, I continue to fail at this taming of the tongue, but I'm going to stand on your promises and continue to petition that you would give me restraint, that you would help me to focus on that which is good and that which is edifying for your body and your people. Talk is the acid test to wisdom. Talk is the acid test to wisdom. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. What if Christians were more known for their quietness instead of their venomous attacks? What if they were more known for their kindness instead of their inflammatory tempers? Just then we might impact the world, right? 
It starts in my heart. It starts in my bedroom. It starts in my thoughts. It starts in my home. And then I really think we can be used by God to always have the right word at the right time. So you think of a calm demeanor when attacked. You think of taming your tongue. You think of replacing lies with truth, removing the fly. And these are all helpful and good and practical wisdom and advice. But I think if all they are are practical wisdom, they're short-lived. Kind of interesting, in this chapter, God isn't mentioned. Now Solomon gets to him before and after chapters 11 and chapter 12. But in this chapter, God's not mentioned. Which again is kind of a theme that he's trying to show us what life is like apart from God and it can be devastating. But here is a little bit different look. He's giving us wisdom and biblical principles. But if not infused by the person of Jesus Christ, it's simply trying to think positively and take tools that, that benefit bits of your relationship. And my experience in my own life and watching others is that is very temporary. Corinthians 1.30, 1 Corinthians says, Jesus is our wisdom from God, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Verse 23 says, Christ crucified is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. We've heard before that Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. So as you take these principles and you work and you strive to apply them in your life, if we ever feel like we're close to wisdom and we're not close to Jesus, we're missing something. Bouncing back to the fly in the ointment, the little things that matter, and Christ perfecting this for us. After Christ fasted for 40 days and he was physically beat up and he was emotional and he was in anguish and he was exhausted and Satan tempts him, what's the first temptation? Take these stones and turn them to bread. All he asked him to do was eat a little bread. Pretty little thing, right? If Jesus takes a bite of that bread, apart from the will of God, out from underneath the governance of the Holy Spirit, out of hunger, if he executes a very small thing and feeds his hunger with bread, he cannot be my spotless lamb. He cannot atone and cover your sin. He cannot fulfill the perfect law, the holy law of God, and therefore take our place to experience the wrath of God. A bite of bread, and we're lost forever. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit, the obedience of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A bite of bread and I don't experience forgiveness and my sin is still upon me. But because the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus and they are one and he has removed my sin and given me his righteousness because the Holy Spirit now is in me as I stand here that I can stand on and trust and apply all of this wisdom. Will we do it perfectly? Doesn't seem like it. Reading Ecclesiastes sure doesn't feel like it as well. 
But when you go to apply wisdom, you apply it in a posture of utter bankruptcy of all good in and of yourself. But you recognize that you are kept and you hold on tight to the promise that the, the power of God is within you. When that happens, I think we'll change the world. When that happens, I think we will have joy under the sun. Pray with me. I arise today through the mighty strength, through the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creations. I arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of descent for the judgment of doom. I arise today through the strength of the love of the cherubim and the obedience of angels and the service of archangels, in the hope of the resurrection to meet with reward, in the prayers of the patriarchs and the prediction of the prophets and the preaching of the apostles and the faith of the confessors, in the innocence of holy virgins and the deeds of righteous men. I arise today through the strength of heaven, the light of the sun, the radiance of the moon, the splendor of fire, the speed of lightning, the swiftness of the wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of the earth and the firmness of the rock. I arise today through the strength of God to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from the snares of the devil, from the temptations of my vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and near. I summon today the power of God between me and those evils against the cruel and merciless powers that oppose my body and soul, against the lies that I've always believed and the sin I've continued to ignore, against false prophets and black laws and pagandom, against false laws of the heretic, crass of idolatry, the knowledge that corrupt man's body and soul. Christ has shielded me today against all evil so that there may come to me an abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in the ear of every man who hears me, and Christ in the eye of every man who sees me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Amen.